With the first pick in the 2008 WNBA draft, the Los Angeles Sparks select Candace Parker. With the first pick in the 2011 WNBA draft, the Minnesota Lynx select Maya Moore from the University of Connecticut. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Rebel Edition. I am your host, Bailey Caldwell. Um, I'm contributor and founder board member at La Pass. Normally, I would have Corey with me, but he is busy today. We're recording on Labor Day, so he's got some holiday plans. I got my boy, Twitter Spaces legend and Outlet Pass contributor, Chicago Sky fan, man of many talents, actually. My boy, 808's in the building for this one. What's going on, 808's? Yo, yo, I appreciate it. Yo, two greats with the whole Twitter Spaces legend, man. Just, you know, I just open it up and just talk to people, man. They do all the work for me. Hey, man, look, you're a rising star. You just hit 3K on Twitter. Everybody yeah. getting to know you, making ripples. <laughs> trying, trying. Sometimes they're good ripples, sometimes they're not, but, you know, good hey, with the bad, right? <laughs> I'm about to say what you got to say, though. Like, a ripple's a ripple. It is, right? You got to take it while you get it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> We're going to catch up on the playoffs. We had an epic, epic couple of games. Well, really just one game. The other game was kind of the exact opposite. Yeah. Um. We're going to break down the games and then talk about a a trending topic from W Twitter. So we're going to go down the list. We're going to go in chronological order. A little less uh, structured than Corey. You know, we just kind of vibe and talk. Corey's got everything. I don't have that because I thought he was going to be here. So we're just going to go with it. Um, we're going to start with Connecticut, Chicago game three. We got my, we got a sky fan and a sky expert here. So that'll work out pretty well. I wish Corey was here to represent his son, but you know, this, this game was, this game was kind of sloppy from the start. Um, really? I mean, I didn't like the way it was really officiated in the first half, especially it was like, they didn't know if they wanted to let him play or not. And then you had AT hip check Candace. That was kind of a moment, but ultimately the this guy pulled it out seventy six seventy two to go up in the series two one, take one on the road. They survived a one of eleven shooting night from Ali Quigley, and the only player with more than six field goals was Emma Mieseman, who had thirteen six and five steals, six assists. Let me clarify. So. As a whole, they shot 37-24-86. On the Sun side, uh, Dewana Bonner led the way with 18 points. Heidemann had 14, and William, Courtney Williams and Bree Jones added 12. Bree Jones was, in my opinion, one of the better players in this game for the Sun, even though she didn't necessarily shoot the ball well. I thought when she was on the court, that was when they had their best success. But overall... You know, when you see two both teams shooting below forty percent for the game, 
uh, in the sun shot 36.8 to the skies 37.1, but they were only five of 12 from deep to the six of 25 by the sky. I mean, it was, it was a weird game. 17 turnovers by the sun. Like, I don't know how it was just a four point game. I mean, really and truly, what, what were your thoughts on the game and specifically on your sky? Uh, well, first off, like you said, they survived the 111 shooting night from Allie Quigley. Uh, I think we both know that's just not going to happen again. You know, it was kind of a one thing. Also, um, as far as the Sky's perspective and how they won that game, um, Emma Meesam and being Emma Meesam was really how they did it. The defense that she played the entire game, whether it was on AT or uh, whether it be Brianna Jones or uh, John Quill, like she was doing her job. Like in the last game, I think John Quill shot 10 for 17. But if we could just get the metrics of what she was shooting when Emma Meeseman was guarding her, I'm pretty sure it wasn't nearly like it was 10 for 17. It's roughly about nearly around 50%. Around 50%. Um, so that wouldn't have been the case. But the fact that the teacher hired him was the second leading scorer for the second straight game for the Sun. That does not bode, that is, does not bode well. It doesn't. And I think you know that. Uh, Courtney Williams had a decent game. Uh, she had 12 points, shot four for 10. But this is a second straight game where the majority of the um, Sky's, not Sky, the Sun starters shot at least below, met around 35% or lower. Um, that, that's just how they play basketball. They, they're a very cohesive team, yet a little unruly. You saw that um, with AT, with the Candace Parker thing. You know, there's a lot of people talking about it. it didn't really look like it was a flagrant. I don't know how. Uh, the game is basketball. And I played football in high school, and I looked like hip check. It looked like I was back on the line. Um, so other than that, I think that really sparked something coming out of the third quarter for the sky and eventually led them to a win. Um, Candace Parker, being Candace Parker, uh, 16 points. It was shot five for 14. I get that. But the 11 rebounds, the four assists, like that is really what sealed the deal for them. Her being who she is. And she didn't really have a lot of help that night, honestly. Like she was kind of doing it by herself, her and Emma. Um, like I said, Ali shot one for 11. Azrae only took five shots. Um, Julie was being Julie. Rebecca Garden only took four shots. So it was really just Emma and Candace taking care of business. Uh, Courtney was there as well 12 points, six rebounds, five assists. I only had three turnovers, but the way they've just been playing over the last couple of games coming from game two, I thought they would have played a little bit better, but the fact that they limited Connecticut to only 10 offensive rebounds instead of the wild numbers they had in game one and game two, um, that kind of, you know, set the tone for the game as well. Uh, Brianna Jones, they, like, as Ray said, coming in game one, uh, they just don't have anybody that can really match up with her physicality-wise, but when they are running their offense and clicking like they used to, uh, that's what we saw going into the third and the fourth, and that's really what sealed the deal for them. Um, I don't know. Connecticut just I couldn't make the layups, man. Like Coach Miller would say, I'm going to get fired because you guys can't make layups. Um, a lot of the bunnies they missed, they only lost by what, four? Mm-hmm. 76-72? This game, and I would say the last game as well, like they were well within reach. Well within reach, but Connecticut just doesn't have the firepower, at least from outside the arc to really punish Chicago, and that's what you saw in game three. Yeah, I was talking to Corey about it a little bit because, again, he's our resident son fan. And to me, 
I I just do not like the way that the Sun are constructed. I've said that on here numerous, numerous times. Because, like you said, they don't have that perimeter firepower to me to really play catch up. And I thought, I think the Sky Series has really kind of exposed what they need to do going forward. And they need to, like, kind of declutter their roster a bit, open it up a little bit, like, make some, they got to make some changes. Some people think Kurt's going to be out after this. It it's just it's hard to watch sometimes. Like when you see John Quill Jones get Rebecca Gardner on her and then get a three seconds because she's waiting on Bree Jones to clear the paint, like and then get frustrated and jumping up and down. Like that's not something that you I don't think you can have that happen and consider yourself a championship contender. I just I just don't I think like I just think they're incredibly talented but so flawed that they get in their own way and they play such a wonky style. Um that is successful, but it has a very limited ceiling to me personally. Um, but you talk about the sky and how they play. It's like complete mirror opposites, like just complete opposites. And, yeah. and then um, I wanted to ask you in a, in a different environment, because I wanted to get your take on this. When Allie Quigley shooting one of 11, should Dana Evans see the floor? In a tight game, I mean, honestly, in a tight game with one of 11 from Quigley, should she do the floor? Okay, we're talking fourth quarter down the stretch, right? We're talking just at some point in that game. So at some point in that game, I do believe that Dana Evans could have been played like uh, an entire DNP coach's decision. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, that's there's no excuse, especially when Alex shooting one free level. You don't really have anybody shooting threes. No Sky player, whether it be starter or reserve, made more than one three-pointer. Mm-hmm. Julie was the only one that shot relatively decent. Emma made one. She only took two. Like, Julie took one. I mean, took two, only made one. So, I get that. But when you're shooting so poorly from the three, I think they in the first quarter shot to two for ten in the entire first quarter. Right. Ten attempts. Uh that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know why she can't get minutes consistently. Um, she is a great player. There's been knocks on her defense, which I think are just completely overblown, considering the Sky's system doesn't really allow for that. And she's played some pretty good defense at the times that we've seen her on the court. Right. So I, I don't get the defense part. Um, but, yes, I do believe that Quigley shooting one for 11, only had three points, went one for seven from three. Um a lot of those misses were open, mm-hmm. either open or lightly contested to the point to where she's made them before in the past. Um, I'm not in favor of, you know, she played, Ali played almost 30 minutes. Out of those 30 minutes, I could have seen Emma play at least, not Emma, sorry, Dana play at least seven to 10. I don't see an issue with that. If I'm not getting anything from you in the moment, and this could be a, you know, a serious tilting victory that we need. Right. Yeah. I'm going to go to Dana and see what she can give me. If I'm not getting much, then I have to go back to who got me here. But the, all the DNP CDs, like, there's I, – I don't see a reason why she can't get a consistent five to seven minutes a game. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. I, I think Dana is, is proven, and I think she proved herself in the playoffs last year even down the stretch that she can play in these moments. I thought it was a little strange, but it's, it's so interesting to me because we talked about in the space last night that – 
honestly melted my brain. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but we talked about <laughs> a little bit, like even on a one of 11, one for seven from three night, Adley Quigley had a plus yes. minus of zero. And I mean, that's a flawed stat for sure. But like to have such an off shooting night and still, and only score three points, but still, you know, impacted a net neutral rating. Like that's, that's really impressive. And I think that really speaks to what Ali Quigley does for this team. I do think that her impact this year has been a little less than it was last year from my perspective. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think that, you know, they still play through her. They still trust her. And, Rightfully so, and I, I don't. I don't think Dana's competing for minutes with her. I think she's repeat, competing for minutes with Alamon and Gardner more than Quigley. So, yeah, like I don't get the whole bench Quigley or takeaway minutes from Quigley. Just to like, uh, first of all, they're not playing really the same position. Allie is too. Dana is a legit combo. Like when Dana's in the game, she's shooting offense, she's scoring, she's doing pretty much everything. So the roles that they play are completely different, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't see the whole you know take minutes from Allie just to get to Dana. I would say take minutes from Julie to get to Dana because, like we said last night, Julie does not look at the rim. Coach has said it in multiple pressers. So he likes what she brings to the floor, though, as far as like a floor general behind sleep. But that's not the sky of needed in the moments that we've been saying, "Hey, we need shooting. Go to Dana." Right. So, like, if people. Whether that be fans, people that cover the team, uh, be reporters, just commentators, any, anybody. If everyone is saying the same thing, I mean, they all can't be wrong, right? Right. Like, I, I think there's something to it. But also, you know, the Sky's offense is completely different from last year. Uh, they added Emma Mieseman. While she is a, three level, a legit three-level scorer when need be, um, the emphasis for scoring has been in the paint. With honestly the better front court trio or rotation in the W, whether that be Candace Parker, Emma, and Azrae. Now Azrae hasn't really been on lately. Um, mostly, I just think the way that Connecticut is guarding her, they're taking away that first step, which is really how she scores in the paint. Like she's electric. I think she's six four, uh, six six actually. So that length and that ability to be able to drive is kind of rare. <laughs> like it, it, it is. Period. Uh, so they're taking that away from her, which is why I feel like she's played the way she has. But all in all, she has not been bad. Like, it hasn't been like, oh, my God, I just – what am I watching? It's just the matchups. And considering the games that she had against the Liberty, I think she's okay with a couple of knockers that aren't exactly the best. Like, the first game in the Liberty, she had 16. She had 14 in the second game. Uh, she had 12 in the third game. I think she's allowed some grace. <laughs> Like, yeah, I think she is. That's and, just my opinion on it, you know. And you know, and you talk about what all she does. She stretches the floor, which mm -hmm. helps because a lot of the sky. It's interesting because the sun work a lot more in the paint off of a traditional post up. The sky are always looking at backdoor cuts. They're looking at wing cuts. They're looking at ghost screens. Like they're looking at all these different ways to get to the rim that aren't necessarily your traditional way. You see. Candace Parker from the top of the key, who is your six five center, throwing back doors to Rebecca Gardner or Kalia Cop or even Slew sometimes. Like they just run it yes. so everything is inverted. Like everything is like crazy. And Azra Stevens is another one of those bigs that allows you to do that. We talked about it last year on the spot about how the sky could be setting the blueprint for the future of bigs in the WNBA. 
because of how unique, like even last year with Steph Dolson, you know, with her yeah. ability to pass and hand off and screen and pick and pop, especially like she made an impact in the finals, just coming in and shooting, even if she wasn't hitting, like she made a big impact just by, by providing a, a spacing threat. And again, you see the sun do the opposite and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think, you know, I think they're two conflicting styles. And I, I've been saying all year, I thought the sky would pick them apart. And even though they haven't necessarily won by a large amount, like I still think they are really exposing what they, what the sun, I think, need to do to go forward and be successful. Uh, they're going to have some uncomfortable decisions to make going forward. Corey talks about, how, I talked about how they're exposing the flaws and Corey, when I was talking to him about it, he said that it's also kind of exposing their path for the future, you know, how you're getting some good out of it. I think, I think that's a fair assessment, but it's not going to be comfortable. And I, I just, think, I think they've got some things that they're going to have to figure out and really hard decisions to make. And if Kurt Miller was to step away, like everybody thinks he's going to do, they're going to have to find somebody who's willing to make those uncomfortable decisions because if Kurt was to stay, I don't think he will. That's a, that's a good point. Um, you know, it's kind of difficult because Connecticut, while they may have faltered in the last four five years in the playoffs, they are still one of the more successful teams that have done mm-hmm. over the last past half decade. Like yes. That's just the way you can assist the truth, you know? 2019 finals team. Exactly. Like, there's only – but then again, though, there's only so much that you can really do with this team is currently constructed. Right. The fact that Brianna Jones was in the game yesterday and for a good couple of stretches looked better, the entire team was looked like they were running better without John Cole on the floor with her is an issue. Yes. Like, we didn't talk about Azure being 6'6". Uh, be able to drive off the first dribble. Like, there's no one on Connecticut's roster that can do that, 6-3 and up. Like, if they just had kind of like a Izzy Harrison type of player, that would really open up literally everything for them. You just added an extra shooter. Like, that's really all they need. You need someone to open up the offense where they be a big and shooting. They have neither of that. You add John Quell in the mix. You put Brianna Jones before at the same time and DB. And while DB may be able to shoot the three when she, when, like, when she does – it's not consistent enough to have two non-shooting bigs. And I say non-shooting because John Quell, while she is a shooter, she chooses not to. Like, yeah. And that's just the way it is. She just, she deflects from the three and she goes into the arc and it's just crowded. And, and it, and it, you know, it, it falls on so many different people, mm-hmm. you know, part of his own Kurt as coach GM. I think part of his own John Quell being that player, I think there's some chemistry. Like, it looks to me like there may be some chemistry issues between the players. Like, you know, I think there's just a lot to unravel in Connecticut that is a very – is difficult to watch sometimes because I hate it for Junko. I love Junko. She's one of my favorite players. But, yeah. like, seeing her just be so frustrated and knowing what she can do and just did last year, you know, knowing what she just came off of. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I didn't see her. Yeah, and it's very visible. And I think that just also means that the Sun are going to have to make a decision and it's going to be a very uncomfortable one. And I think they're going to have to, you know, I I thought last year Kurt showed who he would choose between John Quill and AT. And I yeah. think, and you know, this year, I think Bree Jones is a free agent. Like, 
they're going to have to choose a direction with two of those three. I mean, that, that's what it is. John Quill and Bree worked good last year. Yeah. And, and John Quill and Bree were good. Bree and AT work fine. But there's a disconnect when John Quill and AT are on the court. I, I just think that's impossible to deny. And I thought it's interesting you named Izzy Harrison because when these two teams were playing, when the Sun and Wings were playing earlier in the year, mm-hmm. I just felt – I pointed out on Twitter, like, I felt like the Wings had too much guard depth and too much, like, perimeter orientation and the Sun are the opposite. And if they made a trade with each other, I don't even know what it would look like. I didn't even think it's time to make it, but like a few guards for a few bigs and you make two really balanced, really talented teams because I feel like the wings need a bigger two that the sun have and the sun need a guard or two that the wings have. So I, I thought it was interesting as you pointed out, Izzy, because Izzy would have, would fit well in their high, kind of high energy, gritty system. And she does provide a little more controlled unpredictability. Yeah. Um, you know, as great as that point is, I can't take credit for it. <laughs> I did get it from Jasmine. She covers the wings for Winsider. And uh, her and Rebo in my space a couple of days ago talking about Izzy Harrison to Connecticut because Connecticut has not enough shooters and not enough guards <laughs> because they consistently make a shot. And Dallas has too many of them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... Uh, so <laughs> they were the ones that actually brought that idea. So credit to them. But yeah, like, I just think that's really all they need to really open it up. Um, also, losing Jasmine Thomas, that just decimated. Yeah. That really decimated. They didn't have a true point guard that actually facilitated the offense. So you got AT, you know, up in the usage, and she can't make a consistent jump shot outside of seven or ten feet. Right. So, <laughs> like, you got Candace Parker playing drop coverage as soon as you cross the timeline. That is an issue. Yeah. Yeah, that is an issue. Yeah, because I'm predicting what you're going to do. I know you're going to drive. Like, that's it. They showed the stat at the halftime of that game where the Sun were trying to remember the exact number, but it was like 10 of 26, I think, from within five feet, and they were four of 16 when guarded by Candace. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're letting Candace, I mean, Candace can do a lot, but if you're letting her yeah. just sit inside, like, that's just. Just not – you're not making her work. You're not putting her in any type of position that could possibly be – that you could possibly exploit. And, again, you mentioned having Emma and Azaray around her. They're mobile. They can defend. They The way Emma Miesman plays the pick and roll, whether they do a high hedge or just a quick switch and return, or whatever, like active hands, get deflections, trapping incredibly well. Like, she just – she knows how to move. Like it's it's a very underrated skill, and I think that that is what is really not only setting the sky apart from everyone, but particularly the sun, because as we mentioned, the sun don't really have that type of big. Yeah, um, I don't know what I can say about Emma more than just she's a godsend to this offense, defense, both sides of the court. Really, um, she's exactly the player that. Coach Wade wanted and needed for this offense to work. Anyway, without uh, Emma, like exactly like without Emma, this team is nowhere where they are now. Like love Candace, she's great. She's been a great player the entire season. Um, Allie's been semi consistent when they needed to be. Kyle has just been MVP level type since All Star break. 
But Emma Meeseman has been the backbone of this team since she got here. Yep. I had Emma in my MVP cal or in my MVP ladder like early in the season for a few weeks. And uh yeah. I don't think she would have eventually had the statistical output because people look at that. But I think if you're just eye testing it to look at a true value to a team, she's right up there with I mean, I don't even know whoever you have up there. I'm not even going to start that discussion because, you know, they need to hurry up and just drop that. But yeah. uh, whoever you have up at the top, like if you're looking at – if you pull all the stats away, just watch the film, I, just, I think Emma Meesman would have had a, a great case, really. I mean, it was she's been incredible. And I she's been even better than I remember her being in Washington, and that's saying something because she won a finals MVP in Washington, so. Literally, finals MVP. And, like, you add all that next to – you got Azure receivers come off the bench or starting whenever you needed to be. And I just don't know how you guard that consistently, or if you even can. Right. And then he also mentioned the fact that Azure literally shot 40% from three for a good month and a half of the season. <laughs> like, I think from most of that. Most of May going into the July, she shot almost 40%. Like, to have that kind of weapon – be able to start or come off the bench and play the starter level minutes most of the time. That's huge. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, it's probably the, probably the deepest team in the league. Yeah, the deepest team in the league that doesn't play with the Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> but um, speaking of another deep team, the Storm and Aces, the Storm are another fairly deep team. Like, mm-hmm. And they played the Aces in what was – Already deemed the second greatest game in W playoff history by ESPN. Mm-hmm. For those be the I missing, can see that. it was a one ten to ninety eight finish in overtime that had probably the most chaotic seven seconds maybe ever, and it was an absolute coaching duel down the stretch. Becky Hammond, to me. Drew up some ATOs that were absolutely incredible. Very Popovichian by her, which makes sense given where she came from. But uh, before we get into the game, um, Asia Wilson finished with a, a light 34 and 11 with a total of four stocks. Chelsea Gray added a smooth 29, 12, and 5 with only one one turnover, which was... Absolutely crazy. Like those two, and then Raquan Williams off the bench with a 50% shooting night with 14, 5, and 3. That's how they survived an off night from Young and Plum, who were a combined 9 of 27. And that's how they also outdueled a Storm team that had six players in double figures, led by Brandon Stewart, who had. I don't even know how to explain her second half. She was one for seven at halftime and finished the game nine of 19. Like she in the second (laughs) half, she in the second half just went off. She had 20, 15 rebounds and six assists, which is an incredible stat line. Uh, Jewel Lloyd and Sue both had 17 apiece. Jewel didn't shoot the ball very well. She was six of 20 and one of seven from deep. Um, But, you know, Tina Charles added a 16 five and four performance on six of 11. But to me, the players that really stuck out were Talbot and Ezzy off the bench who added 12 and 10 respectively. 
Yeah. Ezzy didn't miss a shot. And she's getting a little flack for that last play in regulation. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. But before we talk about those chaotic seven seconds, what stuck out to you from the first 39 minutes and 53 seconds of this game? At that Jackie Young has disappeared for the third straight game. Yes. That and the fact that despite that, the Aces have won two straight. And the fact that Jackie has kind of not disappeared, but just really isn't herself as of late, and this team is still turning out W's the way they are, or they'd be overtime or, you know, just getting it done with regulation, that's not going to continue. <laughs> like, Jackie Young has been on fire the entire season. Like there's not a mistake of why she's one of the figureheads of that team. Right. So the fact that, that like I said, the Aces are able to do, keep doing this, and Seattle has six players in double figures, the storm's coming. And not Seattle. <laughs> Talk about Vegas. She's not gonna play that forever. And when she does, that three-headed monster is gonna be even more fierce. Because then you got Chelsea Great humming like she's been in the entire playoffs. Like she's just been unstoppable. Like I truly don't know what to say about Chelsea Great other than that she has just given that team a new life. Whether that be initiating offense, great defense, being in the passing lanes, or shooting. Like, it's everything that Becky is needed when Jackie hasn't been playing like herself. And when all four of those players really are just clicking, you know, Asia, Kelsey, Jackie, and then Raquana, if she can keep up a consistent play off the bench, that's going to be one fearsome team that a lot of people aren't going to want to play. Right. And factor in that Derek Hamby is probably going to be back. Full time soon. She played three minutes fifty one seconds yeah. in this game. Um, you know, and I I don't know if that was a maintenance thing or maybe she wasn't feeling it, whatever. Uh, but presumably if they make a finals run, she will be back. Um I think that's important. And then like you said, Chelsea Gray's been on a tear. Nakaya's posted her uh shot charts, playoff shot charts, and yeah. they looked like a two K player. I mean, really, really, and truly. Um, you know, to me, twenty nine points is incredible. But adding twelve assists with only one turnover, yeah. and that 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 is absolutely insane. But you talk about, you know, this whole team, and not only Derica who played, you know, three minutes fifty one seconds. Like she was a negative two, and against faulty stat, but like the lowest plus minus was Kia Stokes at four. Like they were just in control even when they were, quote-unquote, choking the game away, as some have said. Yeah. Like, you know, they never faltered. They never got frustrated. They just kept playing. And because it's a game of runs, this game was crazy up and down. And, you know, I think the Aces have really shown their trust and their chemistry and their resiliency that I will admit to questioning with this team when it came to this playoffs, especially when De'Arica Hamby went down. So, Shout out to the Aces for, you know, holding that together. On the other hand, you know, I reviewed some of the stats and the Storm made an incredible second half push. They were down eight at halftime and they came back and got their first lead of the game somewhere in the third quarter, if I remember correctly. And from there, it was a really close back and forth game. And just like I said about Becky, Noel Quinn is coaching her butt off. Like, 
She is doing exactly the same thing. And their defense to me is just so incredible. And and one thing that stuck out to me in this game that I think other teams could exploit, specifically your Chicago Sky if they meet up, the wing players for the Storm really picked apart the Aces. Like, that was their best go-to offense at times. Gabby Williams, Steph Talbot, uh, even Jewel off the ball, like, coming off the wings really exploited what the aces were doing defensively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if that's Kalia Copper and Rebecca Gardner and Allie Quigley, like you're looking at a lot more volume. You're looking at a lot bigger volume and presumably a lot even easier looks. So, you know, what, what do you think about this game, this series specifically going forward? Because, I saw someone compare this to, and again, we're going to talk about those final seven seconds here shortly, but someone compared it to the infamous J.R. Smith gaffe and how they feel like that could, it, it could, that they felt like this game ended the series, essentially. Um, honestly, whoever said that, smart person. I agree. Um, they, they've had so many opportunities to, actually stay in these games and not allow Vegas to be Vegas. Like anytime that you just don't close the game out in regulation and you give, you give Asia Wilson an entire extra period of basketball, you don't want to win the basketball game good enough for me. I'm sorry. Like I get it. Basketball calls sometimes are missed. Did Asia travel? Yes, she traveled. But at the same time, there were so many other calls that went the other way for Seattle in this entire series. It's been that way for both teams, honestly. Yep. You, can't, you can't complain about that when you have the opportunity to really actually prevent that with two free, missed free throws from Tim Charles. Yeah. They but missed the a handful. Had, oh, like, a handful. Like, it wasn't a pretty day from the line for them. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of you right now, but. 12 of 17. 12 of 17. So, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, seventy one percent, and it was, it was the timing for a couple. Yeah, of Stewie missed a few down the stretch. Like they were just some brutal misses. Um, Tina and Stewie were a combined five of ten. They're the only. They was the only, they're responsible for all their misses. Yeah, that's crazy. And also, you think about it—the fact that when, um, hey. when Tina was at the line, they were up by one already. Right. So it could have been made a three point ball game, and they would have needed a three to really tie. The force overtime. So, yeah, you know, the storm left five points at the line, and it was really not even about the number, but it was the timing, like you said. And then during those last seven, that was really huge. That was really huge, you know. So so what are your thoughts on – I guess we'll start with the first play in those seven seconds, which was – what was the order? It was 89-85. Mm-hmm. And then there was the missed free throw, right? Uh, double check. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, right here. 80, 89, 88, actually. Okay. Well, it was 89, 85, and it missed the free throw. Booked. Then they yeah, got then three. We, uh, yeah, off that three, off uh, Alicia Gray had it. Not after Jesus Christ. Um, Chelsea, Chelsea Gray had her 11th assist. 
Yeah, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Dallas film the last couple of days. So excuse me. You're a sicko. Uh, and listen, I love Alicia Gray. She's dope. She's fantastic. But, but yeah, it was it was eighty seven, eighty five because Stewie made a shot. Plum missed. Seattle rebound. Let's see, and then they had to foul. The Aces had to foul. Jackie fouled Jewel, who hit two with 11.3 seconds left to put him up 89-85. Aces take mm-hmm. a timeout. That's when they come down, take it out at the half. Chelsea Gray is taking the ball out. And they run yeah. the, the – it was kind of an elevator double screen for Raquana Williams, who just gets wide open. Tina Charles, I believe, was a step late on that, and she drills it. Probably the most chaotic 11 seconds of my life. I'm not yeah. going to lie. That was definitely the case. And it didn't help the fact that, you know, Joy Roy, I think she made those. Yeah, she made both of her free throws. She made both of hers, yes. Yeah. And then you follow that up. Uh, it's just a personal take. Yep. And then you have the two best free throws. By that Tina. really could have put the game away. Yeah, by Tina Charles. Could have put the game away. So then you're 89-88. Still, Aces take a timeout, and that's when. So it's funny. I'm sitting there, I'm on Facetime during this moment, watching the game, and the person I'm on Facetime is watching the game as well, and we're talking back and forth. Like, okay, if you're the Aces, who do you go to? And at this point, I said you're going to either Jackie or Asia. And I said, I think they're going to go to Asia first. And that's what happened. They get Asia to the top of the key. Yeah. And some people said they missed the travel. Some people said they missed two travels. I'm of the mindset if the, if the refs don't call it, then it ain't a travel. That's just me. I would have called it, but I'm not a ref. Maza makes the spin move, finishes with her left. They're up one. Seattle takes timeout. They take it out on their side, and Sue Bird just really just kind of comes up and then just backpedals to the corner. She's there. Raquana Williams is late. Wide open three. With 1.9 seconds left. She hit that. Well, well, then there was 0.8 seconds left when the Aces took a timeout. So the Aces take a timeout, and this was absolutely incredible. And I want I want to ask your opinion on this play. And and I'm gonna overlay this. I'm I'm gonna overlay this so people can see it. But when Jackie Young cut and turned Ezzy, Ezzy had to turn to keep up with her. And Ezzy did not contest the shot. And Jackie hit it. What do you think Ezzy should have done? I think she should put her arms up and turn the shot. <laughs> I think okay. like bare minimum, at least put your arms up and to try to defend the rim, but that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm of the mindset that I agree with you, but I also, at least in my book, in my view of this thing, I can kind of understand why he didn't. Um, you know, with her momentum carrying her the wrong way, and the distance she had to cover, like there was there was no there wasn't a lot per se, but like she was you know half a step behind Jackie Young. I think she would have ran the risk of an and one and they lose right then and there. So like, I kind of, I, I, 
I understand why she didn't. I don't think she made the right decision, but I also understand to me what it looked like happened. Um, she avoided the foul, but I also think if she could have gotten her wrapped up and not let her get the shot up, you know, I think, it, I don't know. There's so many different ways it could have gone, but to me, it's either you don't let her get off a shot or you deter it, but you don't put your hands back like she did. But I think I understand why she did it. Yeah, because she didn't want to foul, you know? Yeah. And I, I think in that case, like, if you're going to foul, you got to make it be a hard foul. Don't let her even get a shot up. But Jackie ties it, and we go to OT. And the Aces just turned up in overtime, 18-6. to six. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close like, at all. Again, you win the game in regulation. You don't have to worry about overtime. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was not even close in OT. And so here we are, Aces up 2-1. So now I'm going to ask you one more question. Is that the second best playoff game in WNBA history as ESPN has proclaimed it to be? My bad. Can you ask question one more time? I said, is that the second best playoff game in W history as ESPN has already placed it to be? I think a lot of that came from the fact that Sue Bird almost won the game for them. So that's probably why they put it there. Like, I think that, that plays a big part into that. And also the fact that, I mean, there were a lot of lead changes, but over the last seven seconds, I can see it being one of the best playoff games. But I really think that we're, we really are prisoners of the moment, especially when it comes to the W. Um, there have been so many other playoff games that, one, people don't know about because there's no active way to watch them. <laughs> right. I just can't say that's one of the best playoff games. Some of the best playoff games I've ever seen were the Detroit Shock. And teams that aren't even in the W anymore like at the Houston Comets. And, like, I just think, like I said, prisoner of the moment, we have to also acknowledge the fact that there are other games outside of the 2010s and now. <laughs> yeah. You know? They they put it at two out of their top ten. Um, so I just thought that was pretty – I thought it was a little bold. Um, it is one of the better games. Two? Yeah. Two? They, they put it at two. Do you want to hear the list? Yeah, sure. So number one was game five, 2016, when NECA hit the shots to give the Sparks the um, victory. Number two was that game, game three. Number three was game five of the 2018 semifinals, Storm and Mercury. If you remember, uh, that was also a big Sue Bird game. She was wearing the mask at the time, if I remember correctly. She had 14 in the fourth quarter. Stewie had 28. Um, the Storm rallied to win that game. They were down like five at halftime. And then they went on to sweep the Mystics for their third title. That one seems too high to me. But again, this is a Sue Bird propaganda factory ESPN. So uh, I think you'll appreciate this one. Uh, game one of the 09 finals. It was the Mercury Fever. The Mercury won 120 to 116. It was 105 all at the end of regulation. And crazily enough, Tamika Ketching only had eight points that night. But Katie Douglas, Ebony Hoffman, and Tammy Sutton Brown combined for 76. 
The Mercury's big three of Tarazi, Pondexter, and Taylor combined for 68. Indiana shot 55.6% from the field. The Mercury shot 50. And then uh, the Fever won the next two games, but the Phoenix Mercury closed it out uh, in five. So, And then number five was game two of the OA Western Conference Finals. I remember this one. This one hurt. Um, this one hurt. Sparks beat the Stars uh, by 15 in game one. And in the last 52 seconds of game two, Becky Hammond hit a big three. Sophia Young hit some free throws. Then I remember Delisha Milton-Jones got a putback. The Sparks were less than two seconds from the W finals. But Sophia Young got an inbounds pass from Vicky Johnson, of all people, and lost a turnaround shot from the buzzer that banked in. It hit the glass, hit the rim, bounced up, and fell in. And uh so then they won game three, seventy-six to seventy-two. Uh and that that was that was painful. I, I remember that one. But those are the top five. I'm not gonna go down the whole list, but needless to say, I I don't I don't think they got two and three right. My only question is is there any playoff game on that list before two thousand eight? Before two thousand eight. Uh number <laughs> seven is game two of the two thousand two finals. Um which the Sparks won 69-66 over the Liberty. That was a good game. I've watched that game. Two of the 99 finals um, was when Teresa Weatherspoon hit the shot. That's number eight. I feel like that should be significantly higher. Those are those are the only two before 2008. Am, ask me, am I surprised? I know you're not surprised because you know I'm not, I'm not surprised, surprised either. <laughs> like... But the, uh, Teresa, that game should be high. That game should be top five. Yeah, I think that should be too. Like that absolutely should be. But they were even like, if they ended the first sentence with, if this list were ranking the most famous shots, it would be at the top. But the overall game wasn't as good. There were a combined 27 turnovers, 64 free throw attempts. The comments missed 10 and both teams shot under 40% in the field. I'm going to be honest. That's the type of game that should be up there. Exactly. Like, but then again, half of these people probably haven't watched these games, so they're literally just going off of what they've seen on clips and people that have actually watched the games. Yeah, I mean, a good ugly game. Like, I know we I called the Sky Sun game ugly, but like those to me, those are the games that make the playoffs exciting in their own right. But no, I agree completely, especially towards the physicality and just the way they played. Like, I get it. Connecticut does not play a good brand of basketball, at least the you know, basketball purist, but I mean, they've won a lot of games. It's, it's worked somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it it does what it needs to do, but it ain't going to get you over the top. But, no, um, but during those chaotic seven seconds of that Sky, or not Sky, Storm Aces game, uh, a tweet went out. This is originally what we were going to bring you on to discuss, but since Corey's not here, we got you for the whole time. So we're going to dive into this. You made a point about this, um, well, maybe two weeks ago when you sent out that tweet or so. Um, and I think this was sent out about 15 seconds left in regulation. And Winsider REA said, this is your coach of the year. And like this, it it 
he got ratioed. It's currently sitting at two retweets, 48 quotes, and 27 likes. Um, and, and I think rightfully so because get that hate out your heart. <laughs> like that just, it comes from a place that is not good. Um, but you know, you talked about, and I'm, I'm not going to take your words from you, but you tweeted something about being a male in this space and understanding the levels that come with that. So, so what are your thoughts on this tweet in particular and the conversation and controversy around it? So initially I was like, first of all, like, this is your coach of the year. Um, yeah. The coach that got more votes than the second coach is the one that won coach of the year. Like, it's already been decided, my brother. So, right. You want to be, you know, funny with the snazzy tweets, but it's not funny. It's not cute. And like, I don't see the humor in it. And also, like, I can't, I don't remember who exactly asked him, but who was your coach of the year then? And he said, Coach T. And so I saw that. I was like, okay, I can see that. You know, Tanisha Wright had a great year in Atlanta, turned around that franchise with the on the court and off the court issues. And they almost made the playoffs, literally almost. And they had the rookie of the year. So I would understand that, you know? But, after further conversation with you and actually fully reading the tweet, because at that point I actually cared again. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, he's talking about Coach Mike Tebow. Right. And shout out to Mike Tebow, great coach. You know, he's been consistent forever, as long as he's been in the W. But he was not one of the better coaches in the W this last season. Like, Washington had a great record with EDD and EDD out. But it wasn't giving me Coach of the Year. I'm, I'm sorry. Like I can see the reasoning, but I you just can't tell me you voted for Coach Tebow, Coach of the Year, when Tanisha Wright right is right there, and so is Becky Ann. And people will ask, well, how come you don't have a game for James Wade? Because James Wade had the deepest team in the league. The team went eight and four without Todd, Sloot, or Candace this year. Eight and four, not five hundred. Eight, <laughs> eight and four, four. six six There's and a, seven. Thank you. There's literally a game. That they had in Connecticut, the last, I think they believe the last game, regular season game they had in Connecticut, where Sloop did not play. Julie Aleman had eight assists and no turnovers. And they won the game by almost, I think like eight or something, that went into overtime. Where Cordy Williams had them out of the game. <laughs> I think she went two for six in overtime. So I, I, I get that. That's why he won executive of the year. He brought in Emma Mieseman. He brought in Rebecca Gardner. He didn't find her. She was playing one of the highest leagues in Europe and has mm-hmm. been known in the W for years. She's been in numerous training camps and just never really clicked connected until now. So like that's like when I hear announcers on TV talk about some where do you find her? You know, where is she? like Jesus Christ. Like tell me you don't watch the games without knowing tell me you don't watch the games. Right. But again, just like I said in the tweet, like as men covering, you know, women's hoops, we have a duty to, you know, check the privilege at the door and to also respect these women the way they should be. Um that applies to coaches too. As the coaches too, like that's that's their job as well. The majority of these coaches, a good majority of them are African American, so that's my issue with tweets like that. You're trying to be snazzy and be funny, and you've also got guys out here making entire TikToks that aren't funny about voting for MVP. Like you're making a mockery of the game and the people that make up the game. So I don't find it humorous. I don't find it funny. I don't think it's something that should actually have left the drafts, as people on Twitter say. 
and he got fried for it, and I'm glad he did. Yeah. Hopefully, he understands that. Hey, maybe I should think before I tweet. And and it's it's even more daunting when you consider what he created. You know, and and I remember, and again, I'm I'm not trying to stir no table, but I I don't want to beat around a bush. Like I remember last year when Howard Megdal, he had Kayla McBride first team all W, and I was just like, bro, like, what's the logic there? How do you, how do you do that? Like that's, and you know I. Sometimes there are just things that don't make sense that these people do. Um, and I'm like, are you really covering the game? Like, but yeah, you know, and it's always these, it seems like it's these people that have such a huge platform and that makes it even more because one sider has some great people and I'm not ever going to talk down on them. And I'm not even talking down on all right necessarily. I just think that, like you say, you need to check himself on that. I think it's something you have to be conscious of. Uh, I've, I've I've talked to him a few times and I, I think he's a very well-intentioned person. I just think he definitely missed the mark here and then kind of doubled and tripled down on it uh, when he shouldn't have. And like you said, he got cooked for it and very rightfully so because W Twitter ain't going to play that. Especially when she's literally already been named coach of the year. It literally been named, but most have been counted. The, the ballots are in my brother. Like but The only answer to that question is yes, whether you like it or not. Like, Thank you. Like, just tell me you didn't like it. <laughs> that's that's really what you're doing. And the optics of it make it even worse. You're passing over um, a woman in Becky Hammond and also a black woman out of Atlanta and Tisha Wright. Like, it just looks bad. And then, you know, your your reasoning is Mike Tebow. Like, come on, man. Like, it just looks bad. It looks bad. And see, my thing about it is, Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And if he would have just said, if he would have just said straight up, like, hey, I voted for my Tebow because of this, 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 he has a valid case. Like, he was dealing with EDD in and out. They had a great defense. They had a surprisingly good offense with with and without her. They, you know, did fine. Like, that's cool if he just says it outright, being transparent. But when you're doing that as a rebuttal to, oh, Becky Ham is your coach of the year, like, snarky, like, acting like, respectfully acting like Mike T is a better option. If that was the case, he would have won the award. I mean, it's that simple. Like, how, did he, <laughs> I don't remember the voting breakdown, but I think yeah. he was like one of one. Really one of one. And it also doesn't help the fact that you had Misha Hines Allen and she started 15 games. Out of those 15 games, 14 of them, she scored double digits. So uh, it's not like you were, the covers were bare, you know? Yeah. You didn't pull a hair out of the hat. Like Tanisha Wright did, no one in the world expected Atlanta to do, do what they did this year. Now they may have been one of the worst teams in the league. Look at depending on what stats you're looking at, the team almost made the playoffs, and Ryan Howard really carried the entire team. And see, it's, and it's it's interesting that you say that because that was, and I we did this on the pod. That is why I voted for, or would have voted for. I should say that's why I would have voted for Atlanta's GM as the executive of the year. And that's just what I mean, because like they have a whole culture shock. Like I have season tickets there and they are just completely overhauled from top to bottom. But again, I think the right person won that award because James Wade set his team up not only to be in a position to go back to back and be the team I think is going back to back. He went and found players that fit exactly what he wanted to do as coach. 
And by all accounts, James Wade is just a real person. Like he's just a madman, but in a good way. Like just what it is. So, you know, even yeah. though he would have been my second place vote just because I saw and I think it's just because I saw Atlanta so firsthand. Uh that was a little biased there, but like yeah, I mean it just and I also think a lot of this would be avoided if people weren't so secretive with their ballots. That's you, another part. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that like everyone should be required to tell it. Like we we discussed this on our I think our last pod or the pod before last about just the implications of that, but I think there's so many people that put opinions out all the time anyway that yeah. I think that it's weird when they will put out opinions all year then hide behind the ones that actually count. Show me your work. When you got to this answer, like fourth grade or whatever the year I learned long division. I don't know what year that was. I've been out of elementary school for some time, as you can see. Show me your work. How did you get to this number? How did you get a decimal? I need to know. Show me the work. Show me how you got to this answer. But you want to get defensive over it and you want to, you know, just not actually be the professional that you're supposed to be. That's where my issue is. And to your point about, you know, the reasoning for why there's a, there's a way to say things and do things. Yes. And absolutely. Like, it just came off defensive. And again, it was, it, it was, it was defensive as hell. And like, again, as men in the space, we have a duty to understand that we are here because they allow us to be, bro. Like, that's just how I see it. Like, I agree. And and I will say <laughs> like how I see it. And I agree with you, but I will say like some men are not used to that. Yeah. Some men don't grasp that concept. Um and it shows. It does and it, it just sucks because me personally I know I haven't always been this type of person that's been as forthcoming and open and just understanding of other people and trials and tribulations that come with it mm-hmm. and i've put in the work to become the person that i want to be so personally and professionally so i just feel like if i can do it anyone should be able to and just want to exactly if you want to if you care to be that person the other people would love for you to be like and people with these huge platforms that you know are just not doing that that's where the issue starts, at least in my opinion. That's mm-hmm. where it starts. Because there's no way in the world that that tweet should even exist. Right. Like, it's still up. It's still up. It should have been deleted. I'm looking at it right now. Like, it's still up. Yeah, I'm still looking at it right now. It's, what, over 24 hours later? But, um, and I also just, I also think it's so interesting because there are other men at Winsider who I think have such a better grasp on it. Like, Owen Pence, he always yep. understand. He always knows what to say. Like, he is someone who I've followed for a long time. And I've told him this before. Like, I respect him so much because he just gets it. Like, and he's very vocal about it too. Like, he, he gets it and is not scared what you think about him. Like, I remember when, uh, when Steph Dolson put him on IG and he was like, yeah, that was me. I was repping Asia at a game she wasn't even playing in. So like and that's and that's a very lighthearted um incident compared to some of the more heavy ones. Like 
whether it's talking about the marketing in the league, the disparities between jersey sales, the disparities between opportunities. Like, he is now on the head every time, and he always words it in a way that I'm trying to th- – it, it stands on what you're saying, but it's not a, a hateful or attacking way. You know, it, it's all yeah. – he just, he just knows what to do. Um, I think about Miles, Miles Ehrlich. I want to say that's how you say his name. Yeah, like he, he's he's one of my favorites from there. Those two really stick out to me, and it's just so weird to see those two guys be underneath what Ari's. But this isn't the first time I've seen Ari kind of be the main subject of W Twitter uh, with this type of thing. So it's just very so interesting to observe, you know. And I'm just wondering, like. What's their Slack look like? What's their group chat look like? Um, you know, but but yeah, as of right now, we are we'll say twenty five hours later and it's it's still here. Forty eight quotes and growing, so that and like it's just certain like I said earlier, it's just a certain way to go about voicing how you feel about a certain issue. And as I'm looking at the tweets now, it just got even worse. People be so angry. Ha ha. Like, this isn't an already slander session, but at the same time, that's just showing me that you don't give a shit. There's multiple people with great points of why this, like, why does this tweet exist? And it's just, oh, well, people are upset. Ha ha. You know, my my job is done for the day. Like, I I just don't know how that's allowed. Yeah, and this is the first I'm actually hearing of this person, like at least in my circles. So, like, just to see that that's my introduction to you. And it's sour grapes. Not gonna lie to you. Yeah, because I no. know the standard that I hold myself to as nobody on Twitter. But to see somebody that's living the founder of one of the biggest sites covering the W. Rose me the wrong way. Right. Because I I love Winside. I'll be the first to admit it. Like they I think they do great work. I love you know, you've got Rachel Galligan, who is just always in her bag. You and again I named yep. those other two guys that's you know, that really stuck out to me. But they've they've got a whole deep branch uh system. You know, they've got different beat writers in different places and I just I really rock with a lot of those individuals, but it is hard to rock with the organization when you see their founder doing things of this nature. So. Yeah, like. Yeah, no, I follow you for sure. And like, I'm, again, it's not a slander session. No, not at all. It's more an accountability than anything. Exactly. There were people that were advocating for Noel Quinn and I see that reasoning as well. Seattle was terrible in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Brianna caught, uh, Stewie caught COVID. The team was shaky. I mean, Sue Bird wasn't the Sue Bird of old for the majority of the season. And here they are, number four seed, fighting for a finals berth. Yeah. But here we are talking about Tina's missed free throws and to close the game after Las Vegas blew a big lead, but I'm crazy. Right. So we're just going to keep digging the damn hole. That's what I'm saying. He he like tripled down on it. Tripled down, pardon me. And and again, like 
again, we're not a slander, but you know, there has to be a level of accountability from within yourself to yeah. understand these things. And it's, it's, but Noel Quinn, I also think had a great, great case. I, I absolutely adore, <laughs> I absolutely adore Noel Quinn. I talk about it all the time. The storm are that team that's not always going to give you a lot of highlights and not always fun to watch from a spectacle standpoint, but what she does with them X's and O's and that system yeah. are incredible. <laughs> and, and I think that, I think that she gets discredited sometimes. I think sometimes people think she just inherited such that a team that was already in place. But when you take into account that the team that's already in place, doesn't play like the team they were before she took over the reins and also the moves that have been made since then. And mm-hmm. like, it's, she's fantastic. She is fantastic. And, um, you know, we could we could talk all day about, you know, does she get less credit because she's a foreign player? Does she get less credit because she's a black woman? Does she get less credit for X, Y, Z? Like there are numerous factors uh, that we can talk about, but and they can all be the reasons. Yeah, <laughs> they all, all, all are probably there's levels to it, and they are all probably yeah. part of it. Um, and that's just the reality of it, and that's the reality we're trying to change. Yeah, one step at a time. Yeah. Like, I didn't know those were the um, – I didn't know that was the double and tripping down that you were talking about. I thought the reason just stopped at that tweet because, like, yeah. I saw the tweet and I was like, okay. But that's what you were talking about. Like, okay, this is just – this entirely different situation now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It it uh, it was it was an ugly look. I, I mean, I don't – because – and then I, I there was one quote tweet that stuck out to me in specific from Parker Ainsworth. Uh, he was like, I get that this was tweeted before the last 15 seconds of regulation, but the play is out of timeouts and overtime sure makes it seem like Baker was the right choice, even though the storm were going bonkers in the second half. Yep. Again, I think that's the correct framing. Like, you've got a battle of two great coaches. It's going to be back and forth. Like, it's hard to stay up the whole time. Uh, and, and Aria was like, I appreciate this. Is she a top in coach in the league? Yes. I don't think she's coach of the year. Da, 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 da. But it's just, I don't know. Like the, the, it's the framing to me is important. And like I said, just the snarky questioning of the already voted coach of the year. Like, what's the point? To be funny. Try to, to be. try to stoke the flames. Like, we are literally possibly one game for each team away from the finals. So you want to talk about this is your coach of the year? Like, listen, man, you like it. I love it. Actually, you like it. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how I feel about it. And we, we, we do so much talking about respect women and uplift them and do this and that. And are you actually doing it beyond the words that you tweet? Right. Like, I was at the um, my first game at Wintrust in the playoffs. I met up with uh, this one season ticket holder that's been following me, like, the entire season and spaces and stuff. And she told me, you know, I really appreciate what you do for you know, black women and not really, um, you know, toning down your rhetoric because of, you know, outside sources or just things of that nature. And it's like, this is who I am genuinely 24-7. Like, I, I'm not – the tweets are my life. Like, I mean right. this. So, like – Things like that mean the world to me to know that what I'm saying is actually impacting somebody. But there have been moments where there's things I've said in the past that have impacted people negatively. 
And like I said, I thought about it, consulted with people, and put in the work to not be that person. I just wish other people had the same mentality, especially when it comes to the WNBA. Yeah. And, and, I'm, glad, <laughs> and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did want to make a point before you got out of here to, to second what that woman was saying. Like, I've said this to you a few times before in group chats and things. Like, I appreciate your energy and your passion and, you know, and I mean this in a positive way. I don't really know how else to describe it, but again, I mean it positively. Like, it's almost like stubbornness, but like being yourself, you know, like I mean that in a good way. Like, you don't let anybody influence you. Um, and But again, there's a level to it of knowing when maybe you're wrong or misinformed or whatever but like you know like whenever like, you're the only spaces i listen to for that very reason so like so i, 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 I did want to thank <laughs> you for that and that that's one reason why i wanted to get you on here to talk about this topic because i knew you had thoughts that not only i agreed on but you you know were very um it's such a loaded word to say this but like very well spoken and you know how to say what you mean without Dig yourself in a hole and making things worse. Um, you know, no, I get it completely, man. Like, yeah, you, you, you know what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't mean that in the way that a lot no, of people of course may not. mean you that. You used it but... correctly. Like, there are ways, like exactly the way you just said that. There are ways to say something without being an asshole. Like, yeah. period. Like, <laughs> it's so easy to not be that person. Yet, there's so many in this space that consistently and frequently make the active decision to be that person, whether you know it or not. <laughs> like, and and it's also and also people need to remember like when you send a tweet how everybody takes it there's no you can't hear it you can't hear how you mean it so you have to be even more conscious of how you word things and if if, if you have a critique or a criticism there is a way to say it and I mean that applies even if you're saying it vocally but Asking if this is your coach of the year, of the literal coach of the year, it's just not it. So it, no. I don't like, I don't like using this expression, but like it's giving NBA Twitter. And I know you know what that means. Listen, man, like <laughs> I tweet about it all the time. I'm so damn tired of NBA Twitter. Like, like just the chaos and the constant yelling and just the, the toxicity. Like, uh, it's, it's been a total turnoff. Especially yeah. over the last two years, especially yes. like when I've been like last year from the uh, championship season when I started covering Sky, and going into this season I've been doing it more frequently. Um, I just I, I just don't get it anymore, you know. So like when I hear things like that and I see tweets like that, it reminds me of those days. And it's like we used to tweet or not we, but people used to tweet and act that way for engagements and interaction. Simply all it is. Mm-hmm. Now, did you think that it was going to be positive? Did you think that people were going to laugh with you and he he ha ha pat your back? Hey, buddy, that was a good one. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't no, want just... W Twitter to become that. It has like, and I tweeted this before. We're, we can talk about this forever, but I'm just going to point this out. Like, there are different segments of W Twitter, and they're all disconnected, and they fall under the umbrella, but they are like. You know, a lot of people say there's like four quadrants in a grid. Well, there's like twelve. I mean, there's literally yeah. like twelve. And <laughs> yeah, but um, but I think you know that about wraps us up for this 
recording this episode of Rebel Edition. Give yourself a shout out. Where can the people find you? Even though you're a celebrity, everybody knows you. Tell them where they can find you at. Listen, that PR really got something with the celebrity shit, man. Like I got Nakai some my mentions putting hashtag fame. Uh, like, come on, bro. Like honestly, the fact that he said that, like, yo, this is Nakai stunking, like the hell is right? this? This is superstar talking Mr. to me. Like, like sixty-two thousand Twitter followers or something. Like this, this guy knows who I am. Like what the hell? But not seriously, man. like it's just been a joy and revelation. Snatch the number four and then tweets. Or you can just put in 808. I'm sure my name will pop up because I'm the only person on the app with that name. That's it. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this was this was fun. We'll have you back on soon enough, I'm sure. You know, I'd love to get you back for your sky analysis. But that wraps up another episode of Rebel Edition. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this pod if you don't mind. <laughs>